Does that passage make you think of anything? And it's like the other books we've read. How so? It's about change. Welcome to Decrypted, the Ars Technica podcast devoted to the television that we're obsessing about. Currently, we're watching Westworld. I'm your host, Annalee Newitz, Ars Technica's tech culture editor. And this week, we're talking about episode three, The Stray. My guest is Kyle Orland, Ars Technica's games editor. And he is going to talk to us all about the elements of Westworld that reflect current technologies and ideas from video games. All right, let's get started. All right, Kyle, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you. So let's start out by talking a little bit about this episode where we learned a lot of new weird stuff about robot consciousness and gaming. And then we're going to cut to just an in-depth conversation about gaming and how this, this game of Westworld works. So one of the things that I found super fascinating about this episode was this conversation sort of halfway through between Ford and Bernard about mm. how robot consciousness works. And I feel like some of what they had to say explained a lot of the weird stuff that we've been seeing where we've, or that we've been hearing actually, where we've heard uh, voices in the robots heads telling them to do things. And now we know it's because uh, the entire show has based its uh, idea of consciousness around this bicameral mind theory from the 1970s. He imagined it as a pyramid, memory, improvisation, self-interest. And at the top? Never got that. But he had a notion of what it might be. He based it on a theory of consciousness called the bicameral mind. The idea that primitive man believed his thoughts to be the voice of the gods. And I thought it was debunked. Not as a theory for understanding the human mind, perhaps, but not as a blueprint for building an artificial one. So what did, what did you think about that? Did, you, did it feel realistic to you as a way of representing how robots might start thinking? I don't know. I liked the idea of the hierarchy of robot consciousness, but uh, when it got to the bicameral mind part, I kind of tuned out a little bit. Is this a, is this a well-known theory that I should have known about? <laughs> Um, it was really popular in the 70s, and I think that okay. was, and it was, it was invented by this um, philosopher, Julian Jane, and it was, his book was, was actually kind of a bestseller, and I think because it really reflected a 70s attitude about consciousness, because it was all mm. about how people, as they, as their minds evolved, thought that they heard the gods speaking to them in their heads, which is kind of a perfect idea for an era when everybody was taking LSD and trying to expand their minds. And so I was about to mention that uh, it sounds like you need a lot of drugs to make this theory make a lot of sense. (laughs) And, um, and so I think, but I, but it is an interesting idea that we, we do have, I mean, I think all of us have monologues in our heads. And so I think that's kind of what it's getting at. Um, but also, let's talk about that hierarchy of mind idea, because it, it kind of helps explain some of what we see Dolores doing later when she's she's learning to shoot a gun. Um, what, what did you think about that? So whenever I think of robots, I go back to like the, the three laws of robotics type for Isaac Asimov. And I guess I should get no, rid of a, that. For that's that. a good. For no, I think that's a good idea. Well, I'm not <laughs> sure if that really applies in Westworld, though. They seem to have their own thing. I mean, obviously not hurting humans 
is a big part of it yeah. as well uh, here. And they also have weapons that can't hurt humans anyway. So I'm not exactly sure. Some of the robots obviously can pretend to hurt humans. We saw characters get shot. Humans get shot by bullets that can't hurt them. So why she can't squeeze the trigger of a gun must be something else in her programming, not just her robotics. I don't want to hurt anything. Why don't we reacquaint ourselves to Lars? Start at the beginning. Kill him. Yeah, and we uh, find out that, I mean, that's part of the gameplay, is that some of the robots are authorized to use weapons and some aren't, and that's actually a great annoyance to Elise, who's one of the programmers. Yeah, I guess it's what the park patrons want. They don't want a Dolores who can fight back, and the fact that she's learning to is obviously, for the plot of the show, very important. Yeah, but it's probably really annoying for the game designers. <laughs> <laughs> it's not supposed to be something that happens. And along those lines, I, I love the bit where Teddy finally gets a backstory. Ah, yes, your mysterious backstory. Do you know why it is a mystery, Teddy? Because we never actually bothered to give you one, just a formless guilt you will never atone for. But perhaps it is time you had a worthy story of origin. And this is part of Ford's new narrative that he's building for the game. So what did you think of Teddy's backstory? Did it, did it seem like a good, solid game backstory or a solid adventure? Yeah, it seemed just deep enough that if you probed it a little bit, you would. they left enough mysterious that you could fill in the gaps for yourself. Yeah, of course I remember why. You look upon the face of true evil, you ain't liable to forget. Claimed he could hear the voice of God. You don't want to probe it too deeply because being mysterious is part of Teddy's character and now part of Wyatt's character. And, you know, really for the backstory in games like this, you, you want it to be just there enough that you don't think about it too much. You want to stay in the moment. You don't want to go back into what these characters were doing before. You want to be there now. So you just need the, the basis motivation for them to say stuff and then you know you're you're shooting guns everywhere and you're not really thinking about backstory anymore yeah and maybe the backstory is vague enough that players can kind of project what they want onto it because one of the things i love is that um teddy keeps repeating that wyatt came back with some strange ideas and <laughs> but what yeah, are those yeah and what are they and and they they kind of involve thinking god. that yeah, god he's god or that there's some uh, some creature or entity coming in the future who's the true owner of the land. Because, of course, this is all set in the West when, um, you know, European descendants were fighting against Indians to and Mexicans to, you know, have control over the land. And so uh, Wyatt has decided none of those people actually are owners of the land. It's some future entity. Plus, he has this gang of people or... I was very confused by by the gang, whether they were part of the story or whether they were just black hat players who Wyatt the robot had recruited and they were playing too. And it's it's even more confusing during the shootout when they seem to just take bullets and not and shrug them off from Teddy. Yeah, it was it was actually it was a great scene. It was very scary. We had heard 
in advance that Wyatt's followers wear masks and we'd hear, we'd heard the weird noises that they made, the creepy kind of whooping noises. And then, yeah, it was, it was super confusing. We, Teddy tries to shoot them and you know, they're immune. So I kind of, I kind of like the idea that they're human players who've just gone black hat and are just total, like the creepiest creeps in the game, I guess. <laughs> the um, immediate thing I thought of was um, the zombie expansion that seems to be in every single shooter these days, where instead of, you know, fighting a military uh, shootout or something, there's zombies now. And so I thought of them as kind of like undead players attacking Teddy, especially in that final shot where they're kind of all descending on him at once and his bullets are doing nothing. Yeah, that's really interesting because we've also heard I, I love the zombie expansion pack idea because we've heard that um, previously that the that Abernathy, the original Abernathy dad, had this role as the professor who led this cannibalistic cult. And so it right. seems like they have these generally this is a story that's just about the old west and and kind of wars over territory but occasionally they have these like snap on stories that are horror stories and you know yeah. maybe it's like special halloween edition <laughs> I w- I want to see like uh, in the family friendly area of the park where there's like uh, the slapstick drunk that keeps falling down and and the 10-year-olds just are barreled over laughing but uh i'm not sure that's the way the show is going yeah i don't know i mean we we do get hints though we see that one scene where the family uh is talking to dolores and right. they they say like oh we can't cross the river it's too grown up over there or too adult over there or something yes. like that so um, but yeah you could pretty much put any genre on top of the western and have little sub stories uh within the park there's some there's like thousands and thousands of robots Somewhere in there, you would think there's, you know, a, a romance or uh, uh, not just right now. It seems just like uh, action and titillation is most of what we're seeing, which, you know, it's an HBO show. But if if I were designing this park you, with realistic AI, you could really do anything. It's true. And I think we are. I hope we're going to see more of that. We're definitely seeing <laughs> Ford's new narrative um, unfolding. And I mean, obviously, his update with the reveries is part of that. Um, we hear a brief moment in this episode where Teresa is super pissed at Bernard because Ford has been just ripping up huge chunks of the park and and destroying mm-hmm. hundreds of storylines. And so she's he's already just throwing things into chaos. And then we get um, we're getting more and more malfunctioning robots. We get the stray uh, who actually the title of this episode is the stray. So his character is kind of key to all of the action. And the stray is exhibiting all these seriously weird behaviors um he's carving uh effigies of bears he's carving pictures of the orion nebula or the of, of the orion nebula of the orion constellation <laughs> that, that was the most surprising part to me where did he learn about the stars i believe they say in the dialogue it doesn't make sense why the hell would he carve orion you're the ones who programmed him he wasn't programmed to give a shit about stars that shows a level of self-awareness and the ability to learn that is should be pretty terrifying to anyone paying attention but i don't know all the characters in the show seem oh it's it's just a glitch you know we're, we can take out a few of the robots and fix it and you're, you, i kind of feel like i'm in the horror movie like don't go in that door you know we know the, the robot uprising is coming and everyone seems not worried enough about it to me yeah, I mean, I think they're starting to be worried. And and the scene where, um, you know, they catch the stray 
why do you think he bashes his own head in? Yeah, what what I got from that is just the the terror of self knowledge was too much for his programming, in a way, which gets a little philosophical. But because it's it's too much, the knowledge of his real identity. Yeah, I think I mean, and that fits with one of the big themes of the episode, which is what is consciousness. The other thing I thought about that, because um, I was I was rewatching the episode, so I was trying to catch all the little details. Mm. And I wondered if maybe he was bashing his head in because there had been some kind of update or tampering in his mind that was causing this obsession with Orion um, and causing him to kind of uh, go rogue. And so instead of allowing the security guy to take his head, he was like, no, I'm bashing in my head. I'm like basically oh, wrecking my, you know, whatever substrate they're using to run their software. So, so this was like a pre pre hypnotic suggestion to uh, destroy yourself before anyone can uh, study you that yeah, kind of thing. Maybe. I mean, it could be, could be. I mean, cause we're talking about, um, you know, we've already had characters saying, well, maybe there's sabotage going on. We know there's stuff happening in his head that was never programmed there. So it's possible. Yeah, and then, and then we have to get into the discussion of who is actually causing all this stuff to happen. Is it is it really just uh, an artifact, an an accidental artifact of the reveries that Ford is putting in, or they they keep hinting at uh, some larger purpose to the park that it's it's something else to the investors and something else to the management. Uh, who's who's really behind it in your mind? Well, I think that's a complicated question. We don't know yet <laughs> who's behind it, and I think. You know, if we're lucky and this show um, turns out to be as complicated and intricate as I think it's going to be, there's no one person who's in control. And that's part of what's scary. Ford mm. has one thing that he wants to do with the park, which has to do with the reveries and has to do with this new narrative of the buried church. Bernard has something very different that he's doing. I think he's clearly mm. pursuing consciousness the way the mysterious Arnold did um, yeah. before the park opened. I think Teresa has a whole other set of interests, which I think are probably maybe military interests, something creepy, something even creepier than killing <laughs> robots for fun. <laughs> uh, might be using robots to kill people for fun or yeah. something like that. Um, and then I think there's just a whole bunch of other weird um, things that people want from the park and are doing to the park. So I think it's if only there were one conspiracy that would be awesome but i i think it's you know i mean that would be easy not awesome uh, but i think i think it would be uh, more fun for us as as an audience to figure out there's actually all these cross purposes so let's talk about um the way that westworld works as a game what is the deal with guns in this game i know you've been thinking about this a lot like this this has been the one thing that i can't really get past with the this show. So I understand it's it's a theme park and it's not really a game in the way we'd understand video games today. Uh, you know, for one thing, there's realistic artificial intelligence out there, which once you have that, anything that's designed like a storyline in a game today is going to seem really stupid. You see this with kind of the designed narratives that they're talking about in the game, which are uh, or in the show, which is kind of the subject of derision with, uh, you know, self cannibalism and the uh, Roboros, uh, whatever he was talking about in the second episode, uh, yeah. these, these kind of crafted things. And, you know, to their credit, the players in the park really seem to largely ignore these crafted stories and just, you know, hang out uh, with the robots and sleep with them and shoot them and 
but the other thing that really bothers me is that when you do go down one of these stories, if there's going to be any tension at all, there has to be some risk to it. And since the guns can't hurt you permanently, there's not much tension to it. Uh, like in the last episode, when William is going after the bandit who's taken Dolores, and you know he hesitates a little bit, and because of that, the bandit sees him and shoots him right in the chest. He falls over. Okay, usually that would be like, a loss. You have to restart. You have to, you've wasted some time, at least in a video game. Mm-hmm. But instead, he just gets up and, and shoots the guy. There's really no risk. There was no way he was going to lose that encounter, quote unquote, lose because he's invulnerable and the robot is not. Now, right. if you're just going for cheap thrills, uh, theme park style, and you know, yeah, I shot the bandit before he could give his big speech, like in the first episode, that's great. Maybe that's what. The players are looking for maybe that's what the designers of the park found that people wanted more than something challenging but i think there has to be some penalty for getting shot if you want it to be a real challenge if they want there to be attention for it maybe you spend you know six hours in the hospital and then you have to go back and you know try and be smarter the next time the loop runs yeah that's interesting that the idea of having to take a time out or something like that i think you're you're right about that and part of what we've been told is that when you're in Sweetwater, the town, that that's basically, it, it's the amateur level. It's almost like, that's true. it's almost like the place you go, like when you start a video game and they're like, here's some tasks you can do to learn how the, you yeah. know, buttons work on your They're still in the tutorial. Yeah. And so it's, that may be kind of what it is because once we see, we've seen several narratives where people leave Sweetwater and they're pretty damn intense. Like, Especially the the Wyatt narrative that we we see a yeah. lot of. The woman who went along with that seemed pretty excited by everything that was going on. She didn't seem not concerned that oh these bullets can't hurt me. She was really getting into it. So that's true. Maybe with a strong enough uh, atmosphere that you don't really think about uh, the mortal peril part of it. Or you do get more mortal peril. I mean, she's terrified when the when the zombie um when they get into the zombie extension you know she starts screaming like holy shit you know she is really you know getting into it like you said when she's far out of town if both of her robot buddies are shot and then she's shot and she's kind of mildly injured or whatever happens and then she's kidnapped by wyatt and dragged away to some narrative i mean that sounds pretty that's consequences right so she seemed like they could or will happen so maybe maybe i'd like to see some of that in the show i guess i'd like to see some recognition that there were consequences instead what we see more is the man in black going to uh that spanish town where uh the family is on his uh, side quest and you know he's a crack shot he can take out these guys without really taking much time but even then you know there's 12 guys and he shows a no apparent concern for that they just the bullets bounce off him with no effect he could be the worst shot in the world he could just keep spraying bullets and missing and eventually he would kill all these guys because hey he's he's in god mode you know i was wondering if he was in god mode or if maybe he if he was in like some kind of he had some kind of cheat because unlike when william is shot like he doesn't even flinch like it's just bullets evaporate when they hit him that's true, and that's different than what happens to William, who gets actually knocked over yeah. by the bullets. So maybe he does have, in the 30 years he's been there, he's found some magic elixir that actually puts him into that, <laughs> and, which totally. is okay, 
I guess, you know, it, in, in a game like Doom, God mode's a lot of fun, but uh, they don't make that the default mode that you play in. Uh, and that's because uh, there's no real risk to it. There's it's, it's just like a playground, like a theme park, I guess, which, again, maybe maybe that's what they're going for more than a game per se. It's just cheap thrills. And, you know, you're paying $40,000 a day to be there. Uh, you don't want to waste uh, half a day being shot. That's not a way to get repeat business. Yeah, you don't want to give people that long of a time out. But I wanted to talk about the man in black's quest or his because he says to him, it really is a game. You know, that's something that he emphasizes, uh, I think, in the first episode that he's the only one who's really playing the real game. And what do you think about his his quest or his game? Does it make sense to you as like as a, as a game storyline? I mean, that seems true. He does seem to be playing on a different level. He seems to realize things somehow that no one else in the park uh, seems to. I mean, being there 30 years might be enough to figure that out. But I find it hard to believe, based on what I know of how games work these days, that he's all alone in figuring this out. I feel like when you know these big puzzles come in other games, it's usually an entire forum of people working to piece together clues and one person sees this and another person sees that and they bounce ideas off each other. So I want to see, you know, the Westworld fan forum where men in black logs on after he, uh, after everyone else is asleep and he talks with, you know, other Westworld super fans about uh, all the clues he found. And he just spends eight hours uh, talking with uh, his friends about that. Maybe that's not as dramatic for a TV show, but I can't imagine that there aren't, you know, fanboys that have noticed all these things in the park and that he's literally the only one who knows that there's a, a deeper level to this. Yeah, it's funny because it, it totally makes sense. There's got to be fan forums. There's got to be people who are creating cheats. and um, But at the same time, it kind of goes against the man in black's character because he's supposed to be this like lone guy who's on a quest to find the thing, the maze, the stuff. Maybe other groups of, you know, uh, super nerdy fans have figured some of this stuff out, but they didn't have the uh, grit to to do what uh, the man in black does. Like they got as far as having to scalp Kissy and they're like, eh, no, I don't really let, let's go back and do one of the other quests. This mm -hmm. is kind of creeping me out. You know, you have to you have to have the knowledge, but also the man in black's uh, true spirit to really fight your way to the maze. It's true. You have to be willing to just like drain somebody's blood and like rip their face off and stuff like that. That's yeah, so, true. Yeah. You know, which I mean, you know, to be fair, you brought up doom. I mean, like, you know, if we've, if we've been shooting the crap out of monsters for a really long time, we might be up for it. That's gory, but it's, it's still obviously a video game. You know, we haven't passed that uncanny Valley no, even true. close where, you know, actually draining blood from a robot that for all intents and purposes is human. They're, I mean, they're passing the Turing test with ease. Yeah. I mean, already in virtual reality, you're seeing game designers change their characters from humans to robots because shooting things that look human in VR is a little too intense for people. Uh, and when you get to actual robots, not just virtual reality, you're going to find a lot of people who are who maybe just want the not the sanitized version, but like not the super horror show version where you have to drain blood from a guy and take off his scalp. That's interesting. So do you think that um, in Westworld, there's a sense that maybe our culture or civilization has changed in some way to make it more acceptable that people would go and have this kind of violent vacation? Because we see people come just for the thrill of shooting other people. Like that's like part of the lure. Yeah, it seems like a catharsis to them. And, you know, if 
if they have these kind of robots in theme parks, then the larger world outside, there must be robots everywhere, right? Every fast food worker must be replaced with one of these guys because in the long term, it's going to be cheaper. So, but you're probably not allowed to shoot those. So, uh, when you come here, you, you, they probably have the knowledge or the society has probably come to accept that there are a lot of robots that look like humans, but, uh, you learn from a young age, no, they're not really human. They only feel what we, we tell them to feel as Ford put it. Uh, so it's okay to do that. It's healthy to do that. Just like we consider it, uh, okay to shoot these virtual, uh, humans on a screen, you know, a hundred years ago, people probably would have been very horrified by that idea. But when you grow up with it and you realize it's just a fantasy and it's just catharsis and you're paying so much money to be there. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably much more socially acceptable. And, uh, I don't know if desensitized is the right word, but they don't consider They don't really treat it as the same level as what they would, uh, violence to a human. They, even if it looks human, they know, Oh, just another robot. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, it's, it's play. It's, it's not real. And we hear that emphasized over and over, mostly by Ford. Uh, whereas Bernard seems to be a little bit more dubious of that idea and seems to that's be... the whole idea of consciousness and, you know, are these robots really feeling, do they, if, if they're actually getting memories and, uh, the ability to feel, you know, the ethical implications of this are definitely going to have to be delved into a little bit more. Yeah. So I want to, I really am curious to ask you about something that's been bugging me a lot about this game world, which is moderation. How, yes. how do you think their moder like, tell me what you think their moderation system is. How are they dealing with griefers? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, I would be really worried. It seems really hard to control. Uh, you see in like, even in something like D&D, you have uh, the player characters sometimes that just want to mess shit up, that uh, want to go crazy and, you know see what happens. Like, oh, I'm going to, I try and shoot everybody. And the dungeon master's like, what, why, why are you doing that? We have a quest. <laughs> and, like, and they're like, okay, roll and we'll see what happens. So, you know, so if you're, if you're actively trolling other people, if you're actively harassing others, you know, there seems to be a big security apparatus. They'll, they'll step in, they'll say, Hey, look, uh, everyone's trying to have a good time. We will kick you out. We will keep your money, stuff like that. So you could really control that. What, what I'm worried about is, with so many people playing together in sort of like a massively multiplayer instance, I guess you'd call it, uh, what happens when your fun gets in the way of someone else's fun? So yeah, we kind of saw this in the first episode where the bandit had just finished robbing the whorehouse and he's about to give this big speech that the narrative designer is very proud of. And I'm sure some people there might have been interested in hearing that big speech. And instead, one of the random park patrons walks up and just shoots him in the back and his partner and no one gets to hear the big speech. Now, I guess that's the risk you take with uh, this open design. But again, it comes back to the, the lack of risk. There's no way he was going to get hurt by the bullets. So it's really easy to ignore the story and just, uh, get your rocks off by shooting whatever you want. And that seems to be what happens. I think we could see it in more obvious ways too. There's a, a scene in the whorehouse where someone gets drunk and starts, uh, I, he just shoots Teddy in the middle of a talk with, um, with Maeve. Yeah. Uh, with Maeve. Yeah. And you know, maybe someone was listening to that talk or maybe someone wanted to take part in that conversation. You know, it's, yeah. it seems like the wild west, uh, pun intended, uh, where (laughs) 
these these players can do whatever they want and you really have to be prepared for your fellow patrons to not really respect quote unquote rules uh, of society, especially since, you know, there's no orientation. There's no, no one telling you what to do. Do we get any hints of how they are trying to, you know, moderate or mediate these moments? We, there's several scenes where representatives from all the different departments are in the room with the crazy map, which is such a great, <laughs> right. that would make it easier to moderate when you, if you could literally see everyone and everything. At yeah, all times. They are. I mean, it's it's kind of it's just like in Hunger Games where they have that. It's the same kind of idea, right, where they're tracking everybody yeah. in the space and they're deploying monsters or robots um, whenever they need to. And so do you think that there are hints that there's some kind that there is some kind of moderation going on, that they're maybe doing something in that room to fix? Yeah, maybe they, narratives, maybe that maybe they handle it more subtly. They, there is that scene where. um the man in black is uh, going to the Spanish town, and he said they, he's already mowed down a you know a whole uh, squadron. Should I should I slow him down a yeah. little bit? So I guess when you have that many robots, you could just send in a rope. If someone's really acting beyond the pale, instead of breaking the illusion and sending in you know a security SWAT team, you just mm-hmm. send in a bunch of robots and kind of distract him. Uh, you know, like yeah. he's messing he's messing with a bunch of players, and the players are getting antsy. You know, robots come in and you know just. Uh, do a dance and wouldn't you have more fun over here and you know the drunk guy's like oh sure i'll leave these losers alone and then everyone and then everyone can have fun so how would you moderate a game like this so if you if you were designing it or if you were just a super fan asking for features what would you want well the thing that really strikes me is that i'm surprised we haven't seen any narratives that you can kind of just talk your way into or talk your way out of like you have to play a conversation game with the other robots and get, you know, kind of persuade them or convince them to do something mm-hmm. to take you to the next area. Rather, most of the time you have to shoot your way through to the next thing or, you know, just uh, sleep with whoever you want. It's, it's the cheap thrills thing. Now, yeah. you know, in current games, we kind of have defaulted to that kind of thing because it's a lot easier to program shooting someone than having a believable conversation with someone. When you get to this kind of future, I feel like having that conversation, having that quote unquote human connection is going to be a lot more interesting than anything you would do with a gun or uh, any of the other Wild West stuff, riding a a horse or whatever. Maybe that's not true in this future. Maybe everyone's so used to robots that it's not no longer interesting to, you know, play with that AI and see how it reacts to different things that you're talking about. Just changing slight things to see how they react and see if I can suss out what's going on oh that's interesting so you would want to maybe pick a robot who seemed like they were a key character and just engage them in different conversations to see if that would help you get to a secret place or a new narrative that you didn't know about yeah i would like the narrative design to be more tuned to that like if you talk to dolores one way you you know you can actually convince her to to come away with you to, to leave her father and then uh, the next day she resets and then, you know, you go painting all day with her. And the next day, you know, you're uh, evil to her. Uh, yeah, just keep uh, trying things. See how far that improvisation part really goes. Yeah. Maybe that's just because I'm, you know, I have that uh, nerdy analytical uh, side to me. And, I'm, you know, the the idea of true AI is just so new to me. And again, in this future, that could be. Uh, so entirely blasé that really they just want to 
shoot one of the robots, one of the hundreds of robots that they see every day. But isn't that part of the pleasure of gaming is that you get to have these these scenarios where there's different outcomes depending on what you do? I mean, that's what makes gaming different from reading a book or watching a movie. Right. And in current games, you know, because of the way branch, you have to script all these branching storylines, you know, you're lucky if you have three or four decisions in uh, one conversation. And even then, it's pretty rare that they have a huge effect on the storyline. With these adaptive artificial intelligences, you know, if you you can really take it wherever you want to go and the story will adapt around you somehow. And it's really going to be totally different every time. That would get me to keep coming back a lot more than just the idea of uh, being able to shoot things. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's interesting about the man in black is that even though he's a total psychopath, he seems to be someone who really appreciates that. He really loves these like subtle parts of the game where changing one little thing allows you to find a whole new town that he didn't know existed or, or to suss out relationships between the characters that you didn't know were there before. So he's, yeah. sounds like he's the, the Kyle, you know, player. <laughs> yeah, that could be it. it. It might be that, you know, a lot of these people, you know, this is probably maybe the only time they're going to become coming to Westworld uh, because they said it costs, you know, thousands of dollars yeah. a day. And whereas the man in black has been there 30 years, he's, he like after the first two years, he's done every cheap thrill you could do. And then he's really had he's one of the only players with the time and inclination to really get down to that nitty gritty level. And, you know, he could have spent six months just with uh, Kissy, just learning everything about him and, mm -hmm. you know, really ingratiating himself with you could do that with pretty much every continuing character in the park. So maybe it's the fact that uh, you're only going to be here once that uh, makes people and go for also, broke. That kind of ties back nicely to the sophistication of the robots, because it seems like the more the robots interact with each other and with people in a sophisticated way, the closer they get to being conscious. And, mm. you know, the more that they have experiences that they can remember also that helps them become conscious. But if they're always meeting people who, as you said, are just there for the cheap thrill, for the amusement park ride, then they're never really getting that kind of rich interaction where somebody is treating them like a creature that might have more than one mode. You know, it's like people are like, Teddy, you're there to be shot. They're never right. delving into, well, well, why do you feel so anxious, Teddy? <laughs> yeah, you're um, the guide. But yeah, no, not many of the players are, are psychoanalyzing uh, these robots. Uh, it feels like William might be different uh, on that score. Uh, there's the scene in the last episode where they're sitting around the campfire and uh, the brother-in-law is just bored out of his skull waiting for something to happen. But uh, William's really getting into it. He's getting into the, the role-playing aspect of it and you know, when Dolores uh, comes stumbling on there, I wouldn't be surprised if next episode he he treats Dolores like a person rather than, uh, you know, a robot where yeah. everyone else, everyone else we've seen interact with Dolores has uh, just treated her like a, a piece of meat. And that might be changing. William is also interested in the puzzle aspect of the game, too. He seems like seems to be. he seems to be much more of a gamer in the style of maybe today's uh gamers who are not just in it for hack and slash. Um, so, okay, let's finish up by discussing a very important conspiracy question, which is who do you think among the <laughs> humans is actually a robot? Um, the quote unquote humans. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yes. I feel like it's got to be somebody. You can't. You don't have a show where the humans are hard to tell from the robots and not have there be a big switcheroo mm-hmm. uh, later on. Again, you come back to Battlestar Galactica. That was the whole guessing game throughout the the entire show. Uh, the one theory I heard today is that everyone is a robot. And it's just uh, robots within robots, uh, kind of matrix style. (laughs) It's robots all the way down. And there's really someone else just watching this whole thing and seeing, oh, how do the how do the robots who think they're humans play with the robots who aren't? God, that would be depressing because Ford is this kind of anti-robot racist. You know, he's always reiterating how he's cruel to the robots and he, he reiterates over and over that they're not real and that we shouldn't make them real. And you know, as opposed to Bernard, who I think of as a robot sympathizer, who really wants to um, explore the robot's consciousness. And then, you know, so and then there's the man in black, who kind of acts like a robot a little bit. Yeah, I think we we, I think we can rule out the man in black because of the way bullets don't affect him. But I guess that could be a head fake. If I were putting money down, I would put it on uh, Bernard. Mm -hmm. I think Uh, it's mainly because of the way Ford interacts with him the way that ford talks to him and looks at him i mean there's nothing explicit in what he says that could be taken like oh i'm i know i'm speaking to a robot but it seems like the way he treats bernard is kind of like i made you as my assistant mm-hmm. like, and then we saw at um we heard in this episode the, about his uh, dead son Mm-hmm. In an episode where we were hearing about them implanting backstories yeah. into robots. And I thought Dead Son is a really, really good backstory to give someone who doesn't know they're a robot and, you know, give them a fake wife on a video screen, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really keep everyone guessing. Yeah. And then if Teresa also knows that Bernard is a robot, that just puts this whole creepy angle on her <laughs> relationship with him, because then she's just like, hmm. she's totally the kind of person who I could imagine being like, yeah, I'm here hanging out with the robots. Of course, I'm going to have a little sex with them. Like she, you know, that is like totally her character. So that would That's be a theory. I, I, my, my idea is that only Ford knows that uh, Bernard is a robot. And he, he really enjoys seeing him interact with you know, all the other staff, just as if he were a human. Mm -hmm. But I I hadn't really considered that everyone knows he's a robot. That's also possible. Yeah, because he could just be a model that they're testing out who is who is who who has a kind of consciousness um, or who has, you know, um, a sense of himself as a an autonomous being. And then he's uh, they're studying him, too, you know, to see how it goes. And we know that um, (laughs) Teresa has been advocating for another use for the robots so he so bernard could be like the next stage and you know and she's just giving him a little test run up in the bedroom <laughs> Whereas proving Ford, that he proving that he's fully functional yeah as, uh, <laughs> well we Star already know that that's yeah that the robots are fully functional yeah um, i think I know that pretty well yeah okay well thanks so much for joining me and uh, i can't wait to hear what you think about the game as it unfolds me neither You've been listening to Decrypted, Ars Technica's podcast about all the television that we're obsessing about. I'm your host, Annalie Newitz, and I'll be here every week obsessing over Westworld until the season is over. So be here next week and we'll talk some more.